We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 35 this morning of Acts chapter 15. I'm just going to clap the whole thing in one go. And then we're going to look at some things that stand out. Um, so I know with these long narratives, and this, this, this narrative actually, you'll feel the length of it, but I just, I'm always torn. Like, should we read the whole thing or should I just give you a summary of it? And every time I tell that to myself, I'm like, why on earth would you not read God's word and give people a summary of it? And I hope you're appalled by the same thought. So we're just going to read it and I'll give you a summary of my sermon. That'll be better. Hey, yeah. Everyone's like, amen. Hey, uh, 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 easy. Clapping. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. I'm not offended. Some men, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged with them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. So just to give you, if you haven't been paying attention, what's happened here is some Jewish believers have come down from Jerusalem, um, down to Judea, to Antioch. Uh, and they're basically saying, hey, look, we've heard you guys have become believers, you Gentiles, you need to get circumcised. And they're like, uh, no, they have a big argument about it. And then so Paul and Barnabas decide to go from there um, to, to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles and the elders to try and figure out what are we going to do with this? How are we going to solve this issue as a church? So that's what's happening here. Verse 4, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, see, it's been there in church for many years, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Saul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon, he's speaking about Peter, has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. 
For since ancient times, Moses has been, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them and to, among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, this is their letter, from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you, along with our dearly beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision, and ours, not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. There we go. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, again, as we come under your word this morning, we ask as we do every week that you would speak to us. We're, we're so needy. We're so unable in our own strength to see what we need to see. And we so desperately need the teaching, revealing help of the Holy Spirit to help us all this morning. Uh, you know the condition of our hearts. You know what we need to hear. And we thank you that your work does its work in our lives to comfort, to convict, to strengthen, to reveal. And so we just look to you again with full confidence this morning that you will come and speak life-giving words to us again this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I said it was quite long. Uh, here's the summary. I've only got two points this morning. The first one, if you're a note-taker, is that the gospel holds everything together. The gospel holds everything together. This is a critical, critical moment in the life of the early church. Um, there have been various uh, councils uh, throughout church history. If you've studied church history, you'll know this. Some certain really big moments in the history of the church where things could have gone that way or that way. Um, you know, Some of them have affected the fact that you're sitting here in what it is largely a, a Protestant church. You know, You could all be Catholics. Um, you know, if certain things didn't happen in church history, um, what is what God has done, and what things that have happened throughout church history have radically shaped um, the future and and the current situation of the church. And this is the earliest hurdle that the church hit, um, and and it's basically around the issue of uh, the Gentiles coming into the church and the existing Jewish believers thinking, how are we going to deal with this? Hey, let's 
let's make sure they get circumcised. Some of the people saying, hey, let's make sure they get circumcised and they adhere to all the Mosaic laws like we were doing as, as Jewish people as, as Jewish people, and as many of them were still doing um, for the sake of fellowship. And we'll talk about that a bit later on. But this is a critical moment. Um, how the church responded in this moment radically affected the next decades and even centuries of the church. The decisions they took even at this council had a massive, massive bearing on the church. Uh, things could have gone differently. Um, Karis was watching my daughter, 17-year-old daughter. Karis was watching something on Netflix the other day. It was so interesting. It was a, I don't know what it was, a series or just a program. And at certain points in the program, you got to vote on how, what happened. Like, there was this girl and like, she's like having this like quasi-relationship with this guy. And like, you know, you could, you could vote, like, do they go on the date or not? Or like, does she wear that outfit or that outfit? And depending on what you voted, the, the, the program continued with a different outcome. And then, and then later on, you got another selection and it's like, okay, you know, wear that dress or like, no, order that for dinner. Like, and then like, and you could wind back your votes kind of thing. I don't know if when you were young, maybe I'm really, we had these books that you could read that like chart your own adventure books. Did anyone have this? Turn to page 280 if you want to go down the canyon or if you want to run back there, turn to page 140. And depending on what you did, the outcome was different. Did anyone, was I the only kid who had this? Oh, there's a few, you know, the nerds are all outing themselves like, yeah, I'm going to go home and find those books. Now they do it on Netflix. You don't have to read it anymore. You just vote like, bing, bing, bing. It wasn't very good though. But, uh, but anyway, that's a side issue kind of thing. This feels like, this feels like that. This feels like if the church did this, that would be the outcome. But they chose to do this and the outcome is different. And the outcome you'll see here is that they choose to keep the gospel at the center and it held everything together. The gospel held everything together. Peter jumps up in his speech. Keep going back and looking at these verses. Verse 9, in his speech, he's, he's testifying. He's saying, He, God, made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples next that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they were. So everyone is saved by grace. And Peter's saying, hey, let's not put on them a, a, a yoke, a burden of, of, of observance of the law that we weren't even able to meet. It didn't save us. So why would we put it on them? You, you understand the argument there? That they understood that they came to... Um, faith in Jesus and came to gospel life by grace, by believing in Jesus, not by observance of the law. And now these guys are advocating, hey, make them observe the law. And he's saying, we're not going to do that because it didn't work for us. Why would we put that weight on them? Both of us, Gentiles and Jews, we've all come to know God through his grace. They hold the gospel right at the center. Circumcision would have been a, a yoke, a burden on the Gentile believers. And we know from the scriptures that Jesus comes to take away the yoke, the burden of slavery to the law and gives us his burden, which is a light burden. It is still a yoke, but it's a light burden and he helps us to carry it. The first thing I want you to see is that this grace is received through faith and both Jew and Gentile get it. And Peter makes the point, he says, I want you to hold this together. Don't want to layer circumcision or other laws on these people. We want to talk about grace through faith not obedience to these things 
James then continues in that speech and he says this phrase, he says he doesn't want anything that's going to make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to faith. Let's not do anything that makes it difficult for them. You can read that in verse 19. I think we need to be honest that sometimes churches make it difficult for people to come to know God. Maybe you're a new believer. Maybe that's some of your testimony. Like, yeah, it wasn't easy. Been through a few churches and you have now. Sometimes church can, churches, sometimes Christians can make it, we can make it difficult for people to come to faith. Church cultures, church environments, our own church here can make it difficult for people who want to meet the living God to meet him. We can do a whole bunch of things that we can layer on them expectations, requirements, um, cultural things that add to the gospel. They are not the core of the gospel. The gospel message itself is offensive because it calls you to die to yourself to live for Christ. That's offensive enough. It doesn't need more offense. It doesn't need offensive people carrying an offensive message. It needs grace-giving people um, speaking hard truths that life is only found in Jesus Christ. And sometimes churches make it difficult. Uh, as I was preparing this, I was remembering a talk I heard by Andy Stanley, and he talks about three, three shifts that happen in church. And he says, uh, these are three shifts that happen normally in churches and should be avoided. And I'm, I want to mention them to us as a, as a warning and a caution for us and make sure that we're running in the other direction from those things. The first one is that the churches move from a passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. We move from a passion for outsiders to pacifying insiders. Often when churches start, there's this energy and this love for the unchurched and for people who are, have no relationship with God and will do whatever it takes to reach them and to love them and to serve them and to welcome them in. And they come with all their baggage and their questions or whatever else. And we're so caught up in the mission, we're willing to tolerate all the messiness of it. And it's great. And what happens is there's a, there's a shift that develops. And there's more people become insiders and churches move from pacifying those who are there and they forget it and lose the passion for those who are not there yet. And I want to remind us that um, he, he described it, and one pastor described it, he says he doesn't get emails from people who aren't at their church. Basically, that's the way he said, like people who complain in your church, they're the ones there and then you feel you need to run around and pacify them in case they leave. And if the focus of our church is just keeping the people here, us, We'll, us just keeping each other happy and we forget and lose our passion for those who are not here with us yet. We have lost some of what it means to be a gospel people and a church on mission. If it becomes about, church becomes primarily about the people in the room, not the people who aren't in the room yet, we've lost some of the impetus of the early church and what God designed the church to be. Yes, it's a family. Yes, it's a body. Yes, we brother and sister together. We do life together, all the one another's in scripture. But a lot of that is to facilitate the reaching of those who are not yet with us. That's the first shift, is from passion for outsiders to, to pacifying insiders. The second shift, he says, is a shift from grace to law. This happens with many believers. You stumble upon the grace of God, and it's good news. It's life-giving news. You've never heard a message like that, or you've never understood it like that. You see the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and you give Jesus your yes you become a believer. You're like, this is amazing. My sins are forgiven. Life in his name. 
yes, yes, yes. And you walk a bit more with the Lord and you shift from grace to law. It's a strange thing. You go from believing that grace is sufficient in your walk with the Lord to add in a whole bunch of things. It's grace and this. You have to do this and this. Others who want to join have to get that, but also that and also that. And if you're a faithful follower of Jesus, it needs to look like this, but with this, but with this, but with this. It's Jesus plus something. And Jesus plus anything is nothing. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus plus plus anything equals nothing. It's Jesus alone. That's the message of the gospel. He says that that is often a shift that you experience as an individual believer, but it can be something that happens in a church that we go from being a grace community where we hold the gospel at the center to just add in a little bit of law, just a little bit of law, not too much because that would be obvious, but just a little bit. These are things that you have to do or that you shouldn't do if you want to be a part of us. And as soon as you add anything on to the message of grace, you've scandalized it and you've wandered away from the gospel of grace and you've added law, which is a burden that crushes people. I'm not talking about gospel-fueled obedience to Christ. I'm talking about um, uh, adding law that makes people in right standing with him. The third shift that he talks about, because once you abandon grace and you head in the direction of law, this is just the very next step. You move from internal transformation to external conformity. You move from internal transformation to external conformity. Some of this has happened in your life, I'm sure, if you've walked with Jesus for long enough. You, you, you wandered into the gospel of grace and God transformed your heart and you made progress and you stopped doing certain things and you had a new power and to live for him and walk in his ways. And you were, you were thrilled with how God can transform you internally, change your heart, change your desires, make you new from the inside out, not the outside in. And what happens is, is that there's a shift often that happens from being astounding grace and relying on internal transformation to outward external conformity. We worry more about what we look like to others, towing the line, looking the part, than actual internal change. Looking good instead of being good. That is a massive, massive shift. And you've abandoned the gospel when you go and you, you, you assess your life, you judge your life, like, what do other people think of me? What do I look like to others? Am I towing the line? Am I doing all the things? Am I keeping the law? Or am I being transformed on the inside? Is my heart being renewed day after day, month after month, week after week? Because the gospel is all about internal transformation and it's got nothing to do with external conformity. And many churches um, flesh this out in the feel that you have to conform behavior before belief kicks in. Track with me here. We, and I, I think there's, there's elements where we at Parkers need to ask ourselves the same question. Hey, when somebody wanders in that door, what are we, how are we treating them? Are we, are we, what is the feel that they get when they wander in here as a new person? You're welcome here regardless of how you behave or what you believe. That should be the feel they get. You're welcome here. You're welcome. We hope you come to meet the God who loves you. What can sometimes happen is that people get the message like, we don't really do that here. You need to kind of, you need to kind of have a shower, you know, clean yourself up before, you know, have a shower, have a bath before you get in the shower kind of vibes, like clean yourself up before you come here. Behave in a certain way before you come to believe. And 
it puts the cart before the horse in the gospel because the gospel message is that you need a power that from God in order to be changed internally. That if you've tried to change yourself, some of you have tried to change your ways in your own power and your own strength. And you've realized that it's a futile exercise because your self-help plan has got short legs. But the gospel's transforming power that changes you at a heart level, that is life transforming. And we want people to encounter that, to come to belief in Jesus, encounter the, the life transforming power and presence of the Spirit, and then your outward behavior will conform in time. You'll, you'll start living differently. You'll start looking differently. We can deal with all those things. We don't want to put uh, b- uh, behavior as a barrier to belief. We don't want to put behavior as a barrier to belief and focus on external conformity and not internal transformation. And you see these things happening in this passage. You can see how this could have gone down. You could see how the, the Jewish believers were in the minority in the number they believe, but the, the, the weight of the church still was in Jerusalem. And they could see the growing work amongst the Gentiles. God is just blowing, planting churches all over the place. The, the mission is moving forward. And they had a choice. Do we go with grace or do we go with law? Do we worry about what the outward appearance looks like or do we bank that God is the one who changes hearts? Do we have a passion for outsiders or do we pacify the insiders? We're in this thing, it's good for us. And they choose correctly on every one of those points to say this is about the mission, this is about the gospel, this is about the gift of grace, and this is about heart transformation. Go, go, go. And you see, you'll see it uh, when we carry on in the book of Acts, Paul's second missionary journey kicks off and it's wildfire again. Because they get they hold the gospel at the center. You have to hold the gospel at the center in a church, not all these other peripheral things. That's the first thing. The second point is shorter. I want you to see how they prioritized fellowship over freedom. They pr- prioritized fellowship over freedom. And I want to explain what I mean uh, by that. They send them this letter and they say, we're so excited for you guys and what all's happening there, but hey, here are four things that we want to recommend that you don't do. Um, and they are very simply, don't eat food offered to idols. Don't eat any meat with the blood still in it that hasn't been like drained properly. Don't eat anything that's been strangled because that would still then have the blood in it. And refrain from sexual immorality. Um, those are four things that were uh, deeply offensive to Jewish people. Uh, I would have broken fellowship in the early church if the Gentiles had decided to just be like, well, we're just going to keep doing this. Like, basically, stuff you guys. Um, don't tell us what to do. Uh, the church would have fractured already then. And if the Jewish believers had put things on the Gentiles that were too burdensome, it would have driven them away and there would have been a massive, like I said, a fracturing in the church. And I want you to see that these, are, these aren't salvation issues. Uh, and, and the letter that comes from the Jews to the Gentiles is not saying you need to do these things in order to be saved. It's saying you need to please adhere to these things for the sake of fellowship, for the sake of us being able to um, share uh, and grow together as fellow uh, believers. Um, I think it's Paul talks about them as disputed matters. These are, not, these are not salvation essential things. These are optional extras. There's differing opinions. There's personal conscience that comes uh, into this. 
many of the Jewish believers, I think I said this earlier, many of the Jewish believers were still functioning and living almost as Jewish people. They, they were still observing some of these things. They, they were growing in their understanding of gospel grace and the fact that there was full freedom for them in this new community that God had brought together of Jew and Gentile. They didn't have to adhere to all these dietary restrictions and laws and stuff like that. That, that was the old. There's now the new. They didn't have to do those things. But they were still growing in it, and they hadn't come to a mature understanding yet. And so it would have caused a massive division. That's why they put those um, suggestions to them. And the heart behind it is around fellowship and not freedom. And this is a, this is a, this is a complicated issue. I've been a, a pastor for long enough to know that this, is, this has polarizing views. And I want to speak into the heart behind this because I think... Um, it's, it's more important that we get the heart of this than like spirit of the law more than all the letters of the law. Um, some people that you speak to will argue that uh, we should never entertain what the Bible calls weaker brothers. They need to toughen up. You know, weak brothers need to become stronger brothers. And if you always just pander to their weakness, they stay weak. So how do you make weak brothers stronger brothers? Put them under some pressure, you know? Send them to the spiritual gym, you know? Like put them under duress and then they'll realize that they've been ridiculous and they'll get over themselves. Um, and then they'll, they'll, they'll see the light and then we won't have to worry about pandering to the weaker brothers, which, you know, isn't really, you're not going to find that approach in the Bible uh, much. Uh, the other end is that you, that, that, you always accommodate weaker brothers, that the church always bends and flexes to the weaker brothers. And the weaker brothers, almost the, the tail wags the dog, that people who struggle as the weaker brothers in whatever area, always setting the pace and always the agenda. And they're never willing to grow to a place of strength, to examine their beliefs, um, to test out what it is they're holding to that causes the offense and the stumble and the, and the potential break of fellowship with other believers. And uh, if you're interested in reading more about this, we don't really have a time this morning to read Romans 14. Go and read Romans 14 if you're a note taker, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. Those are two areas where Paul uh, talks and teaches through the, the heart behind how we deal uh, with weaker brothers. But I just want to pull out kind of the highlights of here. What's at stake here is fellowship. One of the core issues is your freedom in Christ. Okay, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have been set free. You have been given freedom in Christ. You're no longer bound to a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. And particularly when it comes to uh, when you read the scriptures, um, this is obviously contextual stuff. A lot of it is around meat offered to idols and, and, and Sabbath days and things like that that are not a massive thing anymore. I mean, most of, most of us in this room don't really struggle about that. Like, should you eat meat offered to idols or not? It's not really an issue for most of us these days. Maybe you wonder, should you eat meat or not? But that's a, like a different issue. Um, that's not the, what the Bible's talking about here. But it does drill into your personal freedom, uh, your freedom in Christ and your personal conscience and your love for Jesus and the church. And what's at stake? What's at stake? I suppose the question, the way I would phrase it like this is, which one do you want to exercise more? When it comes to your freedom in Christ, do you want to exercise your freedom in Christ? Or do you want to exercise restraint and concern for your fellow believer? Because those are your two options. 
on the one hand, you've got, you can live in the world that says, Jesus has set me free and I can live how I want and your weakness shouldn't be an issue for me. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to live like this and you need to just get over it. And it may cause a, a fracturing or a rupture in fellowship. Um, Paul describes it as almost like the, the ruin of their faith. The, it's a very strong word, the ruin of their faith. Like they, their faith gets shipwrecked because somebody decides, you know what, I'm just going to live however I want. So are you going to exercise your personal freedom? Or on the other side, are you going to show care and concern for another believer and not exercise what is a true freedom? You're free to do it, but you just choose not to out of care and concern for others. Um, might be helpful if I put like a couple of examples. Yeah, because meat offered to idols isn't a good one. But you know, every church has a culture. Every culture has preferences and stuff like that. The most immediate one, it's a trivial one, and I'll get to more detailed ones. Um, it's a flippant one, but I mean, you guys know that I wear um, flip-flops. Uh, these are actually anointed preaching sandals. Limited edition, that's what they are. You might think they're flip-flops, but I wear, I wear flip-flops all day, uh, every day. I would wear them through winter if my feet could handle it. But I only wear shoes if you die or you should get married. Uh, that's the only time I ever put shoes on. I only wear t-shirts. I don't have college. I have a, well, two college shirts. Um, when I go to Tembisa to preach, where I went a few weeks ago, I know that the entire congregation in Tembisa, culturally for them, I rock up with my slip slops. It's going to be difficult for some of them to hear what I'm saying and to engage with me as a preacher because they're like, why are you wearing slip slops, bud? Like you're a pastor. You know, you're the man of God, whatever it is. Don't wear slip slops, like put shoes on. So I'm very happy on that day to put my shoes on, to find my fanciest shirt and off I go because I don't want anything to get in the way. Am I free to wear my slip slops? Yes, thank you. There was a little, not much of a response there. I was like, some of you are thinking, get some shoes, dude. I only have one pair of shoes, but I, I don't want anything to get in the way. And, and so I want the gospel to have a hearing. I don't want something as trivial as what you're wearing on your feet to be a stumbling block to that. And obviously these things get more and more complicated in the exercising of your freedom. One of the ones that's, that's even mentioned in the scriptures is the issue of, well, it's not mentioned in the scriptures, um, dancing. At our wedding, we, we, had, we had dancing. Dan and I love dancing. There was a, a believer, a family friend, a family member of ours at our wedding, horrified, horrified that we had dancing at our wedding. She's a believer in Jesus, like mortified that there were a whole bunch of young Christian folk dancing. And I know we're not really in that age anymore now. Um, maybe some of you still think dancing is of the devil, uh, but I think we sort of passed that. But they, it, it drills down more and more. Issues like um, freedom around alcohol. You get some denominations in Christianity where they're like, no, the whole denomination will decide like, nope. Not for us, like the Baptists or whatever, normally in that kind of world. And the Presbyterians, you know, they're on the other end. Um, did somebody say hey, amen to the, being a Presbyterian or what? Oh, no, sorry. And, 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 and Christians will fight around these things and say, like, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink. It's like, yeah, there is a freedom there. But that's one of the areas where you can press into it a little bit and say, hey, it says if it's a stumbling block for somebody else. And it's going to cause them to trip over 
in their faith. But you're like, but I'm free. I can do whatever I want. If you exercise your freedom in a way that causes a fellow believer to trip, it says you have sinned. The Bible says you have sinned against Christ. In the exercising of your freedom, you have sinned against Christ because you elevated your freedom above your brother and sister in Christ. That's the heart of the issue. We could talk about all these other examples. The heart that I want you to get is this, that your freedom comes second to fellowship. Your freedom comes second to fellowship. The Bible elevates fellowship and it says, don't let anything get in the way. Don't let anything get in the way of being a united community. If anything, in the exercising of your freedom is going to cause another believer to trip over and fall on their face, you need to stop doing it. Paul says, I won't drink. I won't eat meat. I'll just chop vegetables. I'll do whatever. I don't care. I'm free to do whatever. I have full freedom in Christ so I can live however I want. My main concern is that nothing in the way I live gets in the way of you being able to love Jesus. And that heart, when you grab a hold of that heart, everything in a church culture changes because you're not focused on the exercising of of your freedom. You are free, but you're not going to exercise your freedom with total impunity. You're going to be mindful of fellow believers in Christ. So we've seen the gospel holds everything together. We don't want to be a people that add the law where the gospel is sufficient. And we don't want to exercise our freedom where it's going to ruin fellowship. I want to pray for us this morning. There's always different ways in which we can respond to God. I want to ask you as we come to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to search us. Is there any exercising of your freedoms in Christ? that may be causing other believers to stumble, that the, Lord, that the Holy Spirit's convicting you of. Not, not false guilt, not additional burdens, not works righteousness, legitimate things where you are feel convicted by the Spirit to reign in your freedom for the sake of the unity and the health of other believers. And then I'm going to pray for us as we celebrate and ask God to help us keep the gospel at the center of who we are as a church. Let's pray uh, together. Yeah, Father, would you, would you now, uh, through the work of your Spirit, search our hearts? All, all we're interested in is the voice of the Spirit um, to us, and speaking and convicting. We're not interested in, um, in other voices that would come and guilt us and shame us and lie to us. We're interested in the truth-telling spirit to come and reveal our hearts to us and to help us to see if there's any areas of our lives or any ways in which we're living that are causing other believers um, to stumble. And as you point those things out to us this morning, we simply ask for your, your grace to empower us, to elevate our love and concern for our eternal brothers and sisters in Christ over the exercising of our freedoms. We, we want to be the healthiest, happiest body of believers we know. We don't want anything to get in the way of that, even amongst us and between our church and other churches. We don't want to exercise our freedom as a church that cuts us off from fellowship with others. We're happy to reign in our freedom 
for the sake of the glory of the unity of the body of Jesus And where we lack conviction and power and grace in that, we pray for your help this morning. We thank you, Father, for what happened in this council in Jerusalem all those years ago, where where they chose to keep the gospel at the center. They chose to make it about faith in Jesus and having lives and hearts cleansed um, by belief in his name, rather than a whole bunch of other things that we need to do. We celebrate that again today. We pray that you would make us a church, make us a community that holds the gospel at the center, that we don't put behavior in front of belief for anyone who would want to join this community, that we would have arms wide open, just like you do, welcoming people in and allowing the transforming power of the Spirit to change both us and others that our behavior would catch up with transformed hearts and not the other way around. We need so much of your help in this because our natural drift is into these areas we've looked at this morning to become a law-bound people to just worry about ourselves. And we even ask this morning that you would give us as a church a renewed passion for those who are not in this room this morning. This has always been the mission of your church, that it would go into the world and gather your people, and add those who have been saved. And so we pray you'd give us hearts that break for those who are not with us. That we'd be on our knees praying, pleading, asking for your power and your mercy and your grace to wash over the lives of people who we know and love who are not in this place yet. You do all of these things for our good and the glory of your wonderful name. Amen.